We are in our Exodus series, and we are in part 10. This is the 10th week in Exodus already. Um, the Exodus series is going to finish in two weeks' time already. Um, next week, I'm wrapping up 11 weeks of, um, of Exodus, and then um, sneak preview, week 12, um, Pastor May is going to come in and and wrap up the whole Exodus series for us. And then it's Father's Day, first Sunday of September. And um, special treat this year for Father's Day. Um, actually, Mel, my wife, is going to be preaching Father's Day this year. So that's going to be interesting because she's not a father. It's my idea, so we'll see how it goes, but... Um, Mel's preaching Father's Day, and I think that's going to be a really um, empowering message for everyone. And so please join us for that. But we are in Exodus. Uh, we're in Exodus chapter 32 today. Uh, let's, let's give the story once again. God rescued the Israelites out of Egypt and out of slavery. And that's the whole story of Exodus, right? God rescues them. He brings them out of Egypt. He parts the Red Sea, destroys the Egyptian army. And they're walking towards the promised land. And while they're in the desert, God draws them to him, establishing laws and rules and covenant that best represent God's heart. And the instruction last week, the instruction to build the tabernacle, which is to represent God's presence. If we look at the story of Israelites from where they were as slaves in Egypt to where they are, Really, they should be so grateful. They're not slaves anymore. They're under the, the, the hand of God. They're free. They should feel loved and chosen out of all the nations. God, God could have chosen all any nation, but he chose Israel. And they should feel blessed because they have God on their side. But Exodus 32, in between the instruction of the building of the tabernacle and the construction of the building of the tabernacle is going to show us a point that I made earlier in this series about humans, and that's humans are idiots. People are fickle. As soon as their circumstance changes, they change. So up to this point, God has been giving specific instruction to build his dwelling place, the tabernacle. And that's an amazing thing. God's saying, I will be with you. You will be able to see the tabernacle. And when you see it, you will be reminded that I am with you. God gives the instructions to Moses on the mountain. And, and that's where he also gives Moses the Ten Commandments, the law for the Israelite people to live by. And then this would bring blessing and honor to God through the obedience of the law, and it would be a way for all the nations to know that Israel belongs to God. But instead of patiently waiting, so Moses is on top of the mountain, he's speaking to God, God's speaking to him, and all the Israelite people are at the bottom of the mountain, they're just waiting for Moses. They're just waiting for Moses, and instead of patiently waiting, with anticipation of what God would say to Moses, that would say to them, they become impatient 
and become restless at the foot of the mountain. And this is where we join the story in Exodus 32, verse 1 to 6. Let's read this together. When the people saw that Moses was so long in coming down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron, Moses' brother, and said, Come, make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what has happened to him. Aaron answered them, Take off the gold earrings that your wives, your sons, and your daughters are wearing and bring them to me. So all the people took off their earrings and brought them to Aaron. He took what they had handed him and made it into an idol cast in the shape of a calf, fashioning it with a tool. Then they said, These are your gods, Israel, who brought you out of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar in front of the calf and announced, Tomorrow there will be a festival to the Lord. So the next day the people rose early and sacrificed burnt offerings and presented fellowship offerings. Afterward, they sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in revelry. And we'll pause there. People are capable. Sometimes we forget this, how capable we are at just doing the dumbest things. The dumbest things, right? Like think about the Israelites. They were slaves in Egypt. God sent 10 plagues, rescued them out of Egypt. And then they thought they were trapped between the mountain and the sea. And God parts the Red Sea. So they walk on the the, the dry ground in the water. And then after they're done, the Egyptian army comes to take them and the water comes and destroys the Egyptian army. They complain that they're hungry and God sends them manna from heaven and quail. And they they complain that they're thirsty and God provides water out of a rock. They've seen this, the scene, they've seen God work over and over again. And yet right now at this moment, even though they're at the foot of the mountain, they've been given the Ten Commandments by God. They know that Moses is up there with God. They're like, hmm, we don't know when Moses is going to come down. So... Let's just create some of our own gods. And you just think, Israelites, seriously, seriously, what are you thinking? And the question is, what what drove them, what drove the Israelites to make such a dumb move? Right? You know, we all make dumb moves. Right? And the question sometimes we need to ask ourselves is what motivates us to make these dumb moves? There's two things that drove the Israelites to to, to call and and go say, we want this God. We want these gods. Two things. Number one, lack of patience. Verse one, that Moses was so long in coming down from the mountain. And secondly, uncertainty. Verse two, as for this fellow Moses who brought us out of Egypt, we don't even know what has happened to him. And we're going to come back to these two, the lack of patience and the uncertainty because That's actually going to apply to us as well. But what a slap in the face to God. What a slap in the face to Yahweh, to God who saved them from the Egyptians. And now the the very people that he saved have turned around and go, well, 
Let's just create our own gods and then let's worship them. If you were God, you would be angry. Verse 7, let's keep reading. Then the Lord said to Moses, go down because your people whom you brought out of Egypt have become corrupt. They have been quick to turn away from what I commanded them and have made themselves an idol cast in the shape of a calf. They have bowed down to it and sacrificed to it and have said, these are your gods, Israel, who brought you out of Egypt. I have seen these people, the Lord said to Moses, and they are a stiff-necked people. Now leave me alone so that my anger may burn against them and that I may destroy them. Then I will make you into a great nation. God is furious. God is furious, and rightly so, and rightly so, to the point where he disowns the Israelites. The whole time in in, in Exodus when God talks about the Israelites, he talks about his people. They are my people, and I am their God. And yet you see the words he says to Moses, he says, go down because your people that you brought out of Egypt, they've been corrupt. He disowns them, and rightly so. Rightly so. God is so angry. And he says he's going to destroy the whole nation of Israel and just start again with Moses. But Moses intervenes and prays. And we see this in verse 11. But Moses sought the favor of the Lord his God. Lord, he said, why should your anger burn against your people? whom you brought out of Egypt with great power and a mighty hand. Why should the Egyptians say it was with evil intent that he brought them out to kill them in the mountains and to wipe them off the face of the earth? Turn from your fierce anger. Relent and do not bring disaster on your people. Remember your servants, Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, to whom you swore by your own self, I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky. And I will give your descendants all this land I promised them, and it will be their inheritance forever. Then the Lord relented and did not bring on his people the disaster he had threatened. We see this beautiful moment. Moses, the leader of the Israelite people, God is so mad. And Moses goes and says, God, have mercy. Have mercy, God, on your people. They're still your people, God. And he reminds them, God, these are your people. These are the guys that you saved. And you brought them out with the promise to to become a great nation. What are the other nations going to say if you do this to them? Relent, Lord. Relent. And through that prayer, Moses convinces God to change his mind. And God does not destroy the people. But that doesn't mean he's not angry. Let's jump to verse 19. When Moses approached the camp and saw the calf and the dancing, his anger burned. And he threw the tablets out of his hands, breaking them to pieces at the foot of the mountain. And he took the calf the people had made and burned it into the fire. And then he ground it to powder, scattered it on the water, and made the Israelites drink it. 
Verse 21, he said to Aaron, what did these people do to you that you led them into such great sin? Do not be angry, my Lord, Aaron answered. You know how prone these people are to evil. They said to me, make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us out of Egypt, we don't know what has happened to them. So I told them, whoever has any gold jewelry, take it off. Then they gave me the gold and I threw it into the fire and out came this calf. This part of the story is really fun. It's a funny part of the story. Moses comes down from the mountain. And not only now is God mad, but Moses is mad. And he takes the two tablets where God had inscribed the Ten Commandments and he throws them and they shatter. He takes the golden calf and he melts it, grinds it up, puts it in the water and he makes the Israelites drink that water. And then he turns to Aaron, his own brother. He says, Aaron, what happened? Aaron, I left you in charge of these guys. What happened? And Aaron's response is so ridiculous. It's so ridiculous. It makes us laugh because if we don't laugh, it's going to make us cry. Let me paraphrase Aaron's response when Moses says to him, what happened? Aaron says, they made me do it. And so, look, you, you know how evil they are? And so I said, give me all your gold jewelry. And I just threw it in the fire. And then, but damn, this golden calf just turned up. And then we just worshipped it. (laughs) If I was Moses, I would have slapped Aaron. Start off with, because that's your brother. You're allowed to slap your brother. Right? That's just rules. Right? It's such a ridiculous answer. Aaron just shifts the blame over to the people. But Moses, he's mad. He's mad on behalf of God. His response to this enormous sin was he calls for the faithful, those that did not worship the the calf. And literally they go through the nation with swords and machetes and they kill. And the Bible tells us that they kill 3,000 people as punishment for this sin. We see after Moses prays again to God for the forgiveness of the sin of the Israelite people on their behalf. And God forgives the sin. But he also punishes the sin with a plague. Verse 35, And the Lord struck the people with a plague because of what they did with the calf Aaron had made. And what's ironic about that word plague is God was the one sending plagues to his enemies and yet the Israelites have caused this for themselves. They have become the enemy of God and now have received a plague themselves. Very interesting story. Right in the middle, right? right. You kind of think they're out, you know, they're free, they should be happy and then this happens. There's a few key observations in this story that that I want to make, hopefully take us through. The number one is this. People, they're so sinful. 
The condition of man's heart is that it is not only fickle, meaning that it changes so quickly, but their nature, their human nature, is so sinful that on their own, they are just sinful. God says something, our natural desire is to go the other way. Um, even after everything that God had done for them in that moment of uncertainty, in that moment of, of impatience, the Israelites turn away. It's amazing. You think, how could Israel turn away from God, the one who saved them? How could they do that? And they go back to worshipping created gods, gods made of silver and gold, just like they were in Egypt. What's, if, what's fun is when Aaron is confronted by Moses, Aaron's like, uh, 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 the, the people made me do it. And we see that this is a pattern when sin is confronted. We blame others. I hit him only because he hit me first. I stole from my mom's wallet only because she didn't give me enough money. If she had given me enough money, I never would have stole. I cheated on my husband because it's his fault. Because he never pays attention to me. He made me do. He drove me to do. And see, this is what happens. This is what happens when sin is confronted. Our natural desire is, is never to just accept the fact that we're so simple. We, we, we shift the blame. Where does this come from? Sound familiar? Genesis. Genesis 3.12. When God confronts the sin of Adam and Eve. Right? The man said, the woman, the woman you put here with me, she's the one that gave me the fruit from the tree. God, why did you, why, why did you put the woman there? If she wasn't there, I never would have done it. Right? Man shifts the blame of that sin. But, but what's funny is, then, then God says to the woman, hey, what, what happened? And what does she say? Verse 13, the woman said, it was the serpent. It was the serpent. He deceived me and I ate it. See this pattern. This pattern of sin. We reject God. We rebel. We sin. And then when we get caught, not if you get caught. Okay, let's, let's not be naive about this. There's nothing that God doesn't know. And even the deep, deep, dark stuff that no one knows about. It'd be very childish and foolish for us to think that God doesn't know that. No, God knows. It's not if you get caught. It's when God chooses to bring it up. We blame others. This is how sinful humans are. This is our condition. It's just who we are. We live in one of the most uncertain times in our lives. And just like the Israelites, in times of uncertainty, we are tempted. We, we fall into temptation of forgetting who God is and what God has done for us. And instead, what do we do? We create idols and we worship them. Now, we, you know, no one in the world is, is, is you know, pulling gold jewelry together and crafting it into a, a bull or a calf. But 
But what about idols such as financial security, power of information? Do you know what the greatest idol that humans worship? It's the God of self. Whether it's panic buying or hoarding toilet paper, whether it's fighting against government regulations in the name of liberty and freedom, whether it's looking out for ourselves and not our neighbours. In the time of crisis, our idols are exposed. When crisis hits, and we are in a big crisis, when crisis hits, who you turn to or how you respond, it absolutely reveals who you worship, who you trust. I've heard all stories. People are, we're in deep depression now. That's what the government tells us. So what do, we, what do, what do people do in deep depression? We hoard our finances. Can I tell you, firstly, I'm very grateful for our church community. We are one of the few churches where our offering has not decreased. And I'm so grateful for that. But can I tell you, most churches around the world, during recession, the first dollar that gets held back is the one to charities. Right? So many churches are financially struggling because everyone is now looking out for themselves. That's the world we live in. What are the idols? The news. You know, when this first hit, people were living on news websites. They wake up in the morning, the first thing that they go to is what? News.com. Right? They want to know what's going on. They want to be in control of their lives. See, it's in times of crisis that we really, it's revealed who you really trust. I'll come back to this. So the first one is this, people are so sinful. Second one is this, sin leads to God's wrath. Sin leads to God's wrath. When God saves you, when God created you, when God provided for you, and then you turn around and you decide that your security and your significance comes from a created idol and not God of the universe. You think that we can slap God? You think that you can turn away from God and he'll be okay with that? That he's not just going to give to you what you deserve? And please don't get me wrong. God is loving and God is caring. But if you outright declare that you are going to give the glory and value that is only reserved for God and God himself to something else. God will give to you. God will give to you exactly what you deserve. He will give you the justice that you deserve. You offend the creator of earth and you spit in his face. And you don't think there's going to be consequences to that? It's funny, right? Funny, for, for some reason, you know, when we, when we drive, 
And when we make a conscious decision to speed over the limit, you know, it's an 80K zone and you consciously decide, I think it's just a guide. (laughs) It's a recommendation and you choose to go 90 or 100 or 130, whatever floats your boat, right? And then you get caught. Right? Then you get caught and then you get a fine and you lose your license, right? Funny enough, none of us are surprised when that happens, right? You get caught, you get the fine and for most of us, we're like, yep, do the crime, do the time, you know? And yet, you think you can offend God? You think, that, you think that instead of worshipping God, you can go and worship your golden calf and you think God won't be offended and you think even if God is offended, he, he's not going to actually do something? Friends, Scripture tells us very clearly that the wages of sin, what you earn by sinning is death. Please don't be mistaken. You are responsible Every single one of us is responsible for the, for the way we live our lives and the actions we take, the thoughts that we have, the words that we say. We are all responsible. And one day, we will have to stand before Creator God and we will need to explain ourselves. And you will need to explain why you honoured and worshipped God or you didn't. And some of us, we think that we can pass the buck. Some of us think that we can, we can just blame someone else or something else, but I'm telling you, friend, you are accountable for your life. Every single person here, everyone joining us on the stream, you are accountable for your life. And you're going to have to stand before God and, and give an explanation, not me. I don't hold that burden. I don't go to sleep at night thinking, oh, man, I need to stand before God. I don't explain why, you know, this person did this and this person. No, no, you know what? I have, to, I have to stand before God and I have to explain my life. That's all I'm accountable to. You are going to have to stand before God. And I'm telling you right now, I'm telling you right now, if you are on your own, you will get every little bit you deserve. you make the decision to turn away from God, then God will give you the consequences of that decision for the rest of your eternity. And you've got no one else to blame but you. God will give that to you. You want to reject God? You want to rebel against God? You want to go and worship idols? That's fine. You don't want God to be the priority in your life? That's fine then God will give that to you for all of eternity. That's an eternity without God. Now, once again, this isn't talking about other people. We're not talking about bad people here. We're talking about everyone because we're all sinful. So the first thing is this. People are really bad. People are really sinful. Secondly, sin leads to God's wrath. What, you you didn't get struck by lightning, so you think you're going to be okay? You think that your life's pretty okay at the moment? You're like, no major disasters in, in, in my life or in my family. You think, you, you think you're going to be okay? You think God just kind of forgot about you? He's God. The only reason why you're not dead is because of his grace. 
But the third thing is this. People are really sinful. Sin leads to God's wrath. Three, Jesus is our Moses. In this story, it's the prayers of Moses that God hears and responds to. Nowhere in this story did the Israelites come back and say, God, we're so sorry. Nowhere do they ask for forgiveness. They just continue to live in sin, but it is the prayers and the the works of Moses on their behalf that would seek God's forgiveness for them and that they would be saved because of Moses. Moses is the one who changes the mind of God. And can I tell you, in the same way, even though we are sinners and we continue to worship idols, even though we deserve the full wrath and punishment of God because of Jesus, who died on the cross. And because of that act of sacrifice, he atoned for our sins. Atone means to make amends. We made the sin, we made the mistake, but Jesus' death made amends for our sin. And for those that can acknowledge Jesus in their life and those that can trust Jesus in the the life-giving sacrifice that he's given to us, God will choose to relent And not destroy those, not because of us, but because of Jesus. Friends, we are alive today and we will be enjoying everlasting life with God forever, not because of anything that we do or don't do in this life, but it's because of what Jesus has done for us. He is our Moses. Now, does that mean there's no consequences or earthly consequences to sin? There is. They're called scars. Right? If you sin and nothing happens and you ask God for forgiveness, you know, God forgives those. God forgives those that ask for forgiveness. And sometimes you get out, no harm done, as if nothing happened. And sometimes something happens. And there's no right or wrong, there's no like formula to this. We just call them the scars of sin. Sometimes you need to live with your consequences of sin through the rest of this life. Sometimes it's that battle of guilt, it's that battle of shame that, that not God gives to you, but it just comes with the sin. But God freely forgives those sins. It's not God is waiting for you to get better so that he can forgive you. No, he freely forgives those. He wants to forgive you. He wants to be a part of your life. And what Jesus did on the cross for each and every one of us is that he atoned, he made amends for our sin, past, present, and future. You know, whenever there's a sermon like this, the temptation from the pastor's perspective, right, from the preacher's perspective, is very simple, right? And I read a lot of different sermons doing research on this, and there's a lot of sermons that the, the end conclusion or the application is stop worshipping idols in your life, right? Stop, you know, stop worshipping idols in your life. But the question is today, and that is the application, but the question is why? 
Why should we stop worshipping idols, creating idols and worshipping idols in our life? Because if Jesus has paid the price, then so what? No matter what happens, Jesus' blood has covered our sins. So, so why, would, why should we try to honour God and worship God and God alone? Why should we do that? And the answer is this. It's priority and it's relationship. Just because God forgives you doesn't mean it doesn't hurt the heart of God. And just because God can forgive you and he can save you and has saved you doesn't mean that he can save you from the pain that you could go through in this life. God's not up there working out this formula going, well, if you do this A, B, C, D, then you're going to get D, C. No, God wants a living relationship with each and every one of us. I'm, I'm going to tell you, Identify the idols in your life and turn away from them. Not because you're going to avoid a slap. It's because that's the way you can honor and love God better. My wife and I are very different people. Anyone that knows us would know that. I always always joke around, right? Cafe girl, food court guy, right? That's how different we are, Right? But one of the things that I've realized in marriage is to honor Mel, I need to I, I need to learn more about her and I need to learn more about what she likes. You know what? I could do nothing. I could change nothing. And I'll still be married and I could still be faithful and not have done anything stupid. But that's not going to build our relationship. Right? So I take time out. And, and, you know, a lot of our married couples know this. You need to continue to date. You need to continue to, you know, invest into your marriage. Not because you have to, but because you want to. See, that's the thing with God. God doesn't want you to do this and don't do this because you have to, but because you love him. And because you love him, you want to. Friends, we all worship something. We all worship something. If you don't know what it is, look at your schedule. Look at your bank statement. Think about the things that are the most important in your life. And I'm telling you, if God is not priority, if God is not at the top, then whatever is at the top, that is your golden calf. That is your idol. Idols don't have to be bad things. Idols can be good and positive things that just take the place of God. Some examples of that? Family. Children. Career. Financial stability. None of those things are bad things. Right? Health. Friendship, relationship, none of those things are bad things. But anything that takes the highest priority in your life, that is not God. That is your idol. 
And I believe God is telling us, asking us tonight, firstly, identify the idols in your life and turn away from them and come back to God. Not because, you know, you're going to avoid a slap in the face, but because He loves you and He wants the best for you. You think God was just mad because the, 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 the Israelites were disobedient? He was mad and disappointed because He loved them. Everything that he did, he did for them. And yet they turned away from him. That would have broken his heart. Friends, during these times of anxiety and uncertainty, who are you going to turn to? Who are you turning to? When you wake up in the morning... What's the first thing you go for? Look at your bank account. Where are you spending all your money? Look at your schedule. Where's all your time going? Is it God? Let's call it what it is tonight, friends. If, it's, if you're going to say, I believe in God. Jesus is my Lord and Savior. And yet that is not translated into your life. My question is, what's the missing piece? What's the idol that's getting in the way? Matthew 16, 24, 25 reads this, and I'll finish with this. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Friends, turn away from trying to build your own life. Trying to, trying to build your own kingdom. Because Jesus says, if you want to follow me, and it, the Bible tells us it's a narrow path, it's a narrow gate. Not many people are going to find this. If you want to come after Jesus, you need to deny yourself, take up your cross and follow him. It's a big cost. It's the cost of your idols. It's the cost of the idol of comfort. It could be the cost of the idol of your friendships your dreams, your career, yeah, it's a huge cost. But if you're not willing to make that sacrifice, then God will not share his glory with anything. It's either God or an idol, and that's your choice. But I pray that as you choose, your motivation wouldn't be because God's got a big stick just waiting to whack you to make the right choice, that you would make that choice because God is there with his arms wide open and you see God and you see how good he is. You remember what God has done for you and you're reminded of his faithfulness. And because of who God is that we would run to him and choose him at this time and in this place. Friends, identify your idols, turn away from them and find God because he loves you. Let's pray.